Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. For uh, those of you uh, who don't know me, if we haven't had a chance to meet uh, yet, my name is Dave, and I serve on staff here at Upper Room as one of the pastors, and uh, as Melissa said earlier, I haven't been around for a couple months, but that's just because I've been up uh, in our second congregation, which is over in Bolton, which is actually where VJ is today. And so uh, if you've been around for a while, you know that we uh, work off of a rotating teaching model here. And so now we're getting back into this rhythm of VJ and I uh, week in and week out, rotating back and forth. And so uh, I'm I'm glad to be with you uh, this morning. Um, Thanksgiving, you know, we've been thinking about this in, uh, in our home, the things that we're thankful for. And uh, it was actually two years ago on Thanksgiving that I, I preached my first uh, official sermon as a, as a staff member here at the church. And uh, so I was out of interest, went back and uh, looked up and thought, okay, what did I say then? And figured since I didn't remember, maybe you wouldn't either. And so I'm just going to use the exact same, no, that's not true. Um, that'd be fun, little test though, to see how that played out. Um, no, I mean, seriously, uh, we, uh, Sandra and I and, and Jack and Sam um, have been overwhelmed with gratitude over these past two years that we've been a part of this church. Um, Sandra and I both grew up in church, and uh, I took a bit of a detour when I was a teenager, but found my way back in when I was about 20. And, um, and so we've been around church life quite a lot. And one thing that we've reflected on, one thing we've been very thankful for is that it seems like here at Upper Room, um, we're getting the clearest picture of what we believe the church is actually meant to be. And um, this isn't just like, you know, oh, two years, you're still in the honeymoon phase. Uh, this isn't like just rose-colored glasses. What we mean by this is um, we, we, we love it here, and we see one of the clearest pictures, and that's because we actually see something that is, is not completely figured out. We see something that is still kind of messy, and we see people that are honest and authentic and still trying to lean in the same direction together, like people who understand um, that we're not, uh, we're, we're, we're not there yet. We're not completely the people that we want to be. Um, and, and, and on top of that, that there's uh, an effort relationally, collectively, for us to actually need one another and support one another in all of this. And so uh, this Thanksgiving, we're just so grateful for you, church. And um, it's a real joy to be able to serve here uh, on staff. If we were to go around uh, the room and ask the question, um, what, what is the church? Or if we were to ask a question like, what comes to mind when you hear the phrase church or the church? Uh, I'd imagine we'd get a couple of different kinds of responses. Um, you know, for some, you might lean uh, positively. You know, you might say, well, for me, the church is, is, is home. Right? It's a family. It's a place where we, where we belong, where I have, uh, you know, there's other people that, that welcome me in, right? We might say it's a place of love, um, a place where we can come and be open, where we can be authentic, we can be real, and we can be met with acceptance and grace. And, and then people will hear about us and listen to us with wherever we're at, however messy our lives may be, and yet they still love us and welcome us in. But, but also, uh, a place where we're loved so much that when people, like that we don't let one another just stay where we are, right? Like we actually love each other enough to speak in grace and speak in relationship, the truth that we need to actually continue becoming the people we want to be. 
Um, for others, you, might, you may say the church has been a place of, of refuge for me, a place of safety, you know, like a, um, a, a safe harbor where out in the ocean and all the seas there's craziness and chaos, but, but the church is this place where there's actually a safety there for me, a protection, I'm guarded. Uh, we talk a lot at our church about transformation, how uh, we're a place of, of healing and a place of growth and, and a place of forgiveness, uh, not just that we receive forgiveness from God, though we do, but that we are transformed and become people that are able to offer that same grace and mercy and transformation to others. And actually, that's part of the process of, of becoming uh, fully restored people, right? And that's where that honesty comes from, where we're, we're not who we want to be. We're not, we do have, a, we're not holistic. We still, there's tension there, right? And yet we're in this process. And so some of you might lean that way. Others, though, uh, maybe the first things that start coming to your mind and into your heart are things that maybe lean a little bit more negative. Maybe you think about the church and you say, oh, you know, the church is a place where there's a lot of gossip. It's a place where, um, you know, we, we talk about people instead of talking to people. Uh, maybe it's a place where you've seen or experienced an abuse of power, right? This idea where... Um, my ideas, my ways, my plans, my traditions, uh, they're, they're better than yours. And so you either get in line and listen and, and be quiet, or, or you leave, and you'll very quickly feel as if you're not welcome here, right? Uh, maybe that's something you've experienced. Maybe you see it as a place of cliques, where there's like in crowds and out crowds, and that's a constant relational tension. Maybe it's a place that talks about welcome, talks about community, talks about uh, being together, uh, but it, it, it always feels like that's maybe true for some, but I'm always stuck on the outside. Maybe it's a place of judgmentalism. That's a word that comes to your mind, or criticism. Can you believe they said this? Can you believe they didn't say this? Can you believe they wore that? Can you believe that they brought so-and-so? Can you believe they weren't there? Can you believe, right? That's all wrapped up in gossip and all these other things. And maybe it's a place of broken trust, where you actually have... Um, done all you can to be this open, honest person, to kind of just, you know, bear your soul to people who you trusted, and yet uh, you got hurt. Those people then turned into the judgmental gossip, whatever it was, started to ignore whatever it may be, and so maybe you're hurt. And you know what? Like that list, this, this list that you're looking at right now, this is a heartbreaking list. It's heartbreaking. Do you know where I got it? I literally went onto Google and I typed in, reasons people leave Christianity. There's a lot of reasons. But I found my way to a video on YouTube of a guy who's about 21 or so when he wrote this, or when he, when he made the video, and, and these were the reasons. There was a couple others, but these are the reasons that he gave for walking away from the church that he grew up in. Uh, I mentioned a, a minute ago, um, when I was a teenager, I walked away from the church, and my reasons are very similar to those, include some other ones as well. Maybe that's been reasons for you where you maybe grew up in a church or a part of another religion even, um, and, you, and you saw enough of this. You saw this hypocrisy. You saw like there's a facade. If you just, if you just looked a little closer, uh, you'd see these things behind the scenes anyways. Maybe that's part of attention you've had. Uh, maybe, maybe you have no exposure uh, to religion or to faith or to Jesus, and yet you're here in the room, and so you're still you're beginning to explore it. And if that's the case, we're glad that you're here. But, but it's perhaps things like this that have actually um, been the barrier. These have been the, the ideas, the, the categories, the, the words you'd use to describe this thing that is the church, 
And, uh, and so you've, it's actually kept you away from it. And you know what? Uh, in, in, in some instances, the church has um, earned a reputation, to, has earned that reputation a little bit. Um, I'm not a cynic, by the way. I'm a realist. I, I, I'm trying to be. <laughs> um, there's cynicism in all of us, probably, so I know I have that. But I'm just trying to be a realist and call these things out and say they're there. And some of us are aware of it. Others aren't. And, and, and yet there it still, it still is. So maybe for some of you, it's a mix of these two lists. Maybe for you, it's, um, you know, uh, there, there are words, ideas, phrases, things that came to mind um, that I didn't, that weren't included in the list up there, whatever it may be. Uh, this is the thing. Every one of us has had uh, a unique series of experiences and events that have taken place in, in our lives, and, and those are all valid. And each one of those actually forms the reasoning why we think or say or believe whichever one of these two lists it may be or whatever it is that comes out. Those are valid things. And I think part of what we're calling you into or what, we're calling, what, what I'm being called into as well is to be honest with those things and say, what is it that has formed my picture of what the church is? What is it that has formed my, my, my view or my ideas of who, who Jesus is himself? And, and all of this is founded upon this reality that we know individually I mean, on collective level as well, but we know individually that we are not yet as fully transformed as we want to be. We are not yet the people that we want to be. And this doesn't matter if you are like a full-blown follower of Jesus or a part of another religion or, or none of the above. It doesn't matter. All of us have this sense inside. It's like, this can't be it. There's got to be more to this. And then for those of us that have been a part of the church, are a part of the upper room or, or a church in some other place, we also look at it and we say, there's no way it is done yet. There's definitely more things that need to be worked on, things that need to be purified, things that need to be changed and transformed. And we want it on a personal level and a collective level. We know we're not there yet. And here's what I want to start talking about this morning, and it's this. There is so much hope that we don't need to stay the way we are right now, individually and again as a church. We are on our way. And that's really the whole premise of this series called Halfway to Heaven. The church, encountering God through his people, encountering God through the church. And we're very, we're very clear about this halfway concept, right? For this reason, we're, we're not there yet. I don't know if I'm breaking news to any of you, but we're not there yet. We're, we're in process. And when I talk about the church, right, this idea being, uh, which Vijay started us off with last week, we're going to continue to dig into for the next uh, number of weeks, is um, that the role of the church, this is the collective of Christ followers, wherever they are, in this room, in any other room this morning, around the world, whatever, the role of the church is to re reflect to one another and then to the world a taste, a picture, a glimmer of hope, what, the, what Jesus looks like. What heaven looks like. And when I, when I use the word heaven in this context, I'm not talking about like uh, angels and streets of gold and endless buffets and U2 songs or whatever comes to your mind when you think of, of heaven. That's not what I'm talking about. When, I, when I'm talking about heaven, when we are talking about heaven, we're talking about an encounter with Jesus because heaven is close proximity to Jesus. And we long and we hope for a day when we are in the fullness of his presence forever. But we know that we're not there yet. We're still in transit. We're still in process. We're half way there right now. This is what it looks like. And this is the premise of the whole series that we're in. And this morning, what we're going to see is this brilliant picture 
It's, a, it's, a, it's a, an analogy, a metaphor. It's all of the things that we find in Scripture that gives us a glimmer of hope to say, okay, that, that's what we want. That's who we want to be. And yet there's this tension of we, we are it already, kind of, but we're still on our way there. It's not fully, completely there. And, and, and I know that it's going to be a, a challenging picture for us. It's going to be convicting. It's going to have a lot of implications. But I also know that it's going to be so, so worth it to understand this. And so, again, if you were with us last week, uh, then you'll know that VJ kicked off our series called Halfway to Heaven uh, and, and, and told you that we're rooting this entire thing scripturally in for, um, the letter of First and Second Corinthians. So these are two letters that were actually written to a church that gathered in the city of Corinth uh, some 2,000 years ago. And uh, one thing we keep finding as we keep reading through Scripture and seeing what was happening in the churches way back then is there's actually still a lot of the same issues and ideas and concepts that we need to keep revisiting because we're not totally figured out yet. And so one thing I want to encourage you to do is get online at upperroom.ca, and we have a community Bible reading plan, uh, which basically has a reading listed out every single day, so we together uh, can be reading through the letters of First and Second Corinthians together. It's just a practice of being in the Word of God. Uh, secondly, there's um, this thing I've used in the past, it's called Streetlights Bible. And uh, I'm not sure if any of you have heard of this before, but it's basically a, a group of spoken word artists and hip-hop artists that have collaborated uh, to read through um, the entire Bible, and it's all on top of like these lo-fi like, hip-hop beats. It's, it's fantastic. If you're like kind of artsy or into that, it's really, really good. So they have a bunch of books, Old Testament, New Testament. Right now, I think they only have 1 Corinthians. I haven't been able to find 2 Corinthians, which, you know, uh, so I'm pretty sure it's not there. It's in process. But um, as I was listening to it this week, um, it is just a different way of taking in the Word of God. And uh, years ago, uh, my brother-in-law's for Christmas gave me a 12-inch powered sub subwoofer that I installed in my car. And uh, I was like shaking. My car was like shaking as I was driving around this week listening to this with the thump in the back. So anyways, if you want to go for a cruise, let me know. Um, I'd encourage you to check that out. And so uh, we know from the beginning of 1 Corinthians from chapter 1, that they had issues, that the church in Corinth had problems. Like, when you're reading anything, right out of the gate, when, when the writer says what Paul says here, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. You, you don't say that to people who are united. You say that to people who have a problem. Now, I believe there's a typo up there called, where it says untied, yeah, instead of united. That is a total typo, and yet, wow, that just shows you how you need to proofread, how, what that would do to the context of this verse. Golly, that was absolutely my error in, <laughs> in typing, okay? Every once in a while, you just get freaked out. This is why students, just have someone else proofread your stuff. Um, he's saying there's division in a place where there ought to be, where there's supposed to be, unity, community, connectedness, oneness. 
Now, some of you are thinking back to the series that we did in June and July called The Power of One. Do you remember that? We did a series in Philippians where we literally spent six weeks talking about um, division in the church and the need for unity among the church for the sake of going forward on mission with, with Jesus. And so you might be saying, like, we're going to talk about unity and oneness again today, even though we just spent six weeks on it back in the summer. And the answer to that is, yeah, yes, we, yes, we are. Yes, we are. And uh, there's a couple reasons for that. One is because, again, we're only halfway there, friends. We're not there yet. It continues to be a challenge, not just for them, but for us. And again, as long as we surrender ourselves to the Word of God and working through it book by book, we are ultimately going to keep coming face up to this issue over and over again because it was a problem in the church then and it continues to be a problem in the church today. That makes me think of one thing, even back to the different examples I was using earlier, you know, um, the negative gossip, judgmentalism, and all that. Even as you were reading that list, some of you might be on the defense and say, you know, um, well, those are things we see in the world, too. They're not just in the church, Dave. You know, we see them in the world, too. And to which I agree with you, absolutely. But the big tension we ought to feel is we're the ones, as followers of Jesus, who claim to have a corner on the market when it comes to understanding love and peace and grace, and that we're known for being a, a, a group of people that are trying to work together. And, and so it's especially bad when it exists within the walls of the church as well. And that's what Paul is putting his finger on. <clears throat> and he calls out, you'll find this as you read through 1 Corinthians, he is like calling them out. He is saying, you guys have this, this sin and this brokenness. And he talks about one example uh, where they are constantly arguing over which leader in their church they're going to follow. You follow him, well, I follow him. And, and if I, I'm not going to give you any attention. That person is not as important. You need to follow who I follow or else you're not even a part of this. And Paul puts his finger on this and says, there should not be this competition of leaders within your church. And actually what it's become is uh, those leaders have become idols to you. You've actually put those leaders in the place of Jesus himself because if you're all caught up in the debate of which one you're supposed to follow, you're certainly not following Jesus. This is like right out of the gate that Paul begins to say. This. He comes out swinging. He talks about how there is, um, the, their, their practices in terms of how they are practicing their worship services, how they are practicing how teaching is taking place, uh, how they are taking the Lord's Supper communion is completely just jacked up. Because their heart is not in the right place. It's only for the, for the purpose of saving face on the outside, doing the right things at the right time so the right people see you doing those right things. Paul's saying, that's, there's a big problem there. He talks about um, the extreme amount of sexual sin and brokenness that's taking place within their church. And he calls this out in two interesting way, ways. On one side, he says, those of you who are practicing in these uh, sexual sins, you need to, we need to start talking about that. We need, you need to change that. You need to stop that. You need to repent of that. But he also says, there are others of you in the church that know of the people that are practicing all these various sexual sins, and you're letting them get away with it, and that's just as bad. And so Paul brings these things out, and he's saying there's brokenness, and there's sin, and there's division, and there's competition, and it's killing you. And it's not a picture of what your church, Corinth, or what any church is meant to look like. That's not what the picture of this is supposed to look like. And he begins to reroute it all back into what their faith in Jesus looks like, which is to be the foundation of all our lives as followers of Jesus. Faith in him, receiving the grace that he offers and pursuing a life as he leads us. And so being the brilliant communicator that Paul is, 
he uses a variety of word, word pictures and analogies, and um, his rhetoric is, is really good, the, the rhetorical questions and all these things. You can begin to see the persuasive case that he's actually building, and then you get to chapter 12, and it's like he's been working his way up to chapter 12 and chapter 13. And, and, and he uses this, this idea, this metaphor, this analogy, this picture. It's all of the things, like I said. And he says, here's what you need to hear. This is what the church is supposed to look like. A body. A body. And he begins to talk about the human body, actually. And, and as he talks about the human body, he, you know that he's talking interchangeably about the human body and then the body of people, the congregation that has come together. And he says the body is a unit that's made up of many parts working together, okay? So, like, let's just stop. That's true for a human body, right? It's also true for a church body. He just goes right for it, right? He says, um, each part of the body has a distinct purpose and a distinct function. Well, hey, look at that. True of the human body, true of the, the church body, the collective of Christ followers that he's referring to. See how this works? This is so good. He says that God designed the human body to have, um, God designed the human body to have all the different parts, and so a perfectly functioning human body has all of the parts as well, right? Uh, we say when one part of the body hurts, all parts of the body hurt. Well, okay, that's true for the human body. That's true for the corporate body of people together. Every other part of the body works best when all of the other parts are in working order. And I love this. It's so clear, right? And yet Paul then makes it even better. It makes it even better by like personifying body parts and giving them a voice and causing them to ask questions. And he says, well, can a foot say to a hand, I'm not a hand, so I'm not a part of this body. I guess I'll just walk off or hop off, I suppose, if it's just a foot by itself, right? He says, can an ear say, I'm not an eye. I'm not as important as an eye. I'm just an ear. I just hear. I don't see. I, I guess I'm not, I'm not a part of this. And, and here's what Paul is doing. He's making it sound absurd. He's making it sound ridiculous. How foolish would it be to think that your body parts are like having a conversation, debating over who is more important than other body parts, right? It's ridiculous, and that's actually the point he's trying to make. He's trying to say that for one body part to say, that's it, I don't belong here, I'm out of here, there's something wrong about that. He's making this point about not the human body, though. He's teaching us something about the church. There's something wrong when one of us within the church or multiple of us within the church begin to think and say, I don't think I'm a part of this. There's something off there. Right? He, he says equally, it's equally as, as, as hurtful and destructive and bad when one body part says to another body part, you're not as important as me. Now, just again, put yourself in the analogy of that, right? Your ear all of a sudden starts to talk and says, you know what, fingers? We don't need you. I can hear just fine without you, fingers. Right? And the fingers are like, yeah, yeah, but, but I'm the one who dials the button in the phone that you're actually even going to hear. Imagine this debate happening. Isn't that ludicrous? Isn't it poignant? <laughs> Isn't it, like, direct? Isn't it making a point? And so there's the tension where it happens on each side, and he sums it up, and he says, the church is a body, and each one of us is one of its parts. 
just like the human body, consists of different pieces and parts that God has put into place and designed to have a particular function, all of them working together perfectly when they're working in unison and doing their role. The same thing is true for us. As a church, as a body of Christ, people who are following after Jesus, we function our best when each one of us has recognized the role that God has assigned us to play, and we're living that out while at the same time allowing other people to do things that we can't do. And we never say, you can't do this and you can't do this, or you're not as good as me, or you're not whatever. He's saying all of us have a specific role. He talks about how when one part of the body hurts, all part of the body hurts, right? Now, like, okay, so my wife, Sandra, has a toothache um, and has, like, has had numerous issues with this tooth. It's been root canaled, and it's been all the, it's, it's, it's rough. Do you know what hurts when her tooth hurts? Everything. Like, if you have a toothache, does just your tooth hurt? Does just the side of your face hurt? Does just your head hurt? Or does your whole body hurt? Your whole body hurt. You know who else hurts because of my wife's toothache? Me <laughs> and my children and other people. I'm not trying to like make fun of her. I'm just saying like we all feel it because we care for her, because we, because we don't want her to have that pain, right? It's like, I want to drink iced coffees with you, but you can't. So I suffer, you know, too, right? This is, I've had issues with my back, or my low back for many, many years, and it wasn't until recently that I found out one leg is like shorter than the others. And what I found out, part of my pain is coming from is because my whole body, legs all the way up through my hips and into my, my spine and into my shoulders, are doing everything they possibly can to keep my head straight. I have a wife for that too, to keep my head straight. But, but my body physically is doing that. Why? Because all of the parts hurt and suffer and work together doing the things that they do to support. And it's so simple and yet, isn't it so difficult all at the same time? Isn't it so challenging all at the same time? Especially when we think about it the way we ought to, which is a metaphor for the church. And let me just make this real for you right now, for us right now. We can sometimes begin to believe a lie that we don't belong. We look around and we say, I'm not as important as, as them. The thing I offer, the thing I can do, or, or maybe I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not as important. I don't belong here. I, I need to get away from this. I'm not a part of this body. And we can get so filled with self-doubt and fear and anxiety, questioning our self-worth and value, wondering if we contribute anything of value. Um, I'm going to share something with you that's hard for me to share. Um, but it's worth it, and I'm doing it in faith. But I have to share it with you. I spent the better half of Wednesday afternoon, just a few days ago, um, uh, contemplating quitting. Um, and not like uh, fantasy rage quitting, but like legitimately, honestly, had my phone out and was trying to calculate how many hours of minimum wage I'd have to work somewhere else to be able to continue supporting my family. Like, I was, it, was, it was becoming real. Um, here's how my week was supposed to work. I blocked Wednesday to be my sermon writing day. Vij and I both block at very least one full day to be studying and, what, and, and writing and, not, and whatnot. We're always reading and discussing and making little notes and files and, and, and whatnot. But, but Wednesday I sat down, and this was my day that I had blocked to write. 
and there was nothing. It was dry. It was like a, a, a cursor on the screen was just like, you know, that Word document. And uh, it wasn't just like writer's block. It was deeper than that, way deeper than that. It was uh, more like, um, I must be the wrong person for this. It was, um, okay, maybe I have completely and utterly misunderstood my calling. It was, uh, if I'm supposed to be the per one of the people that leads in this church, and one of the people that speaks in the church, I mean, thinking of this week coming, like today, if I'm supposed to be that one who does this, um, but I have nothing to say, this is not right. Maybe this is how I was finding out that my calling and all the things I thought I was supposed to be and who I'm supposed to be were just, maybe I was wrong about all that, and this is the way I was finding out. And you know, there's another level to this, and that is, um, if I can be, I, I am being completely honest with you, but um, I understand what I'm about to say next is in humility. I feel um, that I am probably the most close to God I've ever been in my entire life. Just by way of my own personal rhythms in terms of what personal worship looks like and prayer and being in the Word of God and being in community. On one hand, I feel like I've never been closer to God. And, um, the place I've been trying to pursue, that proximity to Jesus, the thing I've wanted for so long, and yet there I thought I was, and there wasn't even one fresh sentence to share with you. And so I wanted to quit. And um, I, believe, I was believing, I am believing, like I'm in the middle of this right now. I'm not cut out for this. Um, I, I was thinking, I, I can't do this because if, if I'm wrong about myself, then how can I get in front of other people and encourage them to continue pursuing Jesus? I'm actually going to be a hindrance to you, to the church. I'm wrong. I'm off. I, I got to get, get, get out of here. And, um, you know, Kurt called me Wednesday afternoon at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock uh, to say, hey, man, how's it going? Uh, you know, do you have any direction for the sermon just so I can finalize the set of worship songs? And uh, you know what? I didn't tell him the fullness of what was going on. I was too scared. I love Kurt. We love each other. Like, we have a relationship where we talk frankly and openly about a lot of stuff. And yet there was still something that I felt I needed to protect, like I couldn't let him know. There was like a shame there or something. So I just did my best. God, um, even the songs we sang, God clearly is leading this week. They're relevant to this for sure. Uh, here's another thing. Uh, Thursday morning, so that's all Wednesday, okay? Uh, Thursday, I was scheduled to preach to VJ and Tony at 9 a.m. I was leaving my office with nothing. I, I went home, and we put the kids to bed, and Sandra, like, right away knows that something is off with me, and so we sit down and we start talking, and she's listening to me and um, asking me some questions, and then um, she prayed for me, and... Um, uh, <laughs> Wives, you need to pray for your husbands, for one. And husbands, you need to break down in front of your wives. And if she was in the room, I'm going to cry anyways, but if she was in the room, I'd be like, uh, full-on ugly cry. Um, she's in toddlers or something this morning. Um, and so um, uh, we, we finished talking, uh, and she's like, so are you going to go to the office and start writing your sermon? And I'm like, are you? no, I got nothing. There's nothing to do. I've been beat up enough by my... By, my, by all this. And so she's like, you're just going to go to bed? Thankfully, I went to sleep. Next morning, 9 o'clock, 
or morning, I'm driving into to, to the office to preach to Tony and Vijay a sermon that I don't have. So I'm like just heavy and defeated and have a decision to make either. I get into my office and scribble out some stuff and just wing it. And at the very least, Vijay and Tony are just like, man, this was a rough one. And we just work together and figure it out. Or I can be totally honest and just tell them everything that's happening. And you know when your like, emotions don't let you decide what you're going to do? That's what happened to me. Because Tony walked in the room and he goes, hey, bro, how you doing? Ugly cry. Disaster. Messed. Snot. Tears. I got a beard thing going. It's a mess. Gross. And I told him everything, everything uh, that I just told you. I told him more things too. Um, uh, we talked through it at length. Uh, we prayed uh, through it. They prayed for me. Um, and uh, they kind of, they, they, they reaffirmed my calling. Uh, they encouraged me. Um, uh, they told me that they wouldn't let me quit even if I tried. And I said, uh, well, you're going to come drag me out of my house? And they said, if we had to. I said, okay, I guess you're pretty committed to that. Um, and uh, basically what was happening in all this, to put us back in the context of this analogy, right, is I was wanting to pull away. I was wanting to say, this is, I'm not a part of this body. Maybe I'm not supposed to be a part of anybody, but I'm not a part of this body. And they said, no, you very much are a part of this body. And, and you know what was one thing that didn't hit me until Friday afternoon? Um, they never let me off the hook. See, they could have said, hey, Dave, you know what? Okay, we get this. This is mega stuff. This is big stuff. Uh, we'll figure out a way to actually cover you on Sunday. Someone else will preach or we'll do something else. They could have done that, but they didn't. And you know why that's so important? Because that was their way of proving that I actually am a valid part of this body, that I do have a role to play. And I was at first, like, I didn't want them to take it away from me or anything like that because I have, like, a commitment. And, like, I want to serve. I want to do this, but, like, I don't know if I can't. Caught up in all this tension, and they never let me off the hook. And that's so important to just say, we're actually going to reaffirm who you are by allowing you the space to do what you're called to do. Here's another crazy thing. Vijay and I and our team, we plan out our sermon series uh, to the week, months in advance. I was scheduled to preach on this topic, on this text, on this Sunday, six weeks ago, or from six months ago, excuse me, from before Vij went on sabbatical. And so here you are, here I am in the middle of it, and um, got to preach on this subject, feel like a disaster, and the very thing that I'm being asked to preach on or being called to preach on is the very thing that's happening inside me. There's a couple of reasons why I'm telling you this. One of them is... I'm not okay right now. Like, I am walking with a spiritual limp right now. I'm, I'm not even believing all of the stuff still. The second thing is, if I was on my own, I'd be done. I'd be out of here. But I'm not on my own. There are people, there's a body that's calling me back in, that's reminding me of who I am. And thirdly, it's for this, remember this. And this is what you need to hear mostly. You are a part of this body. You are needed here. You're wanted here. You're loved here. This is your place. This is your home. You belong. We're your family. 
This is our body. None of us could ever function on our own because we're not made to function on our own. We've been designed to be interdependent on one another, to pour into each other's lives, to serve one another, and then to be able to receive that at the same time. And when we don't get that, when we think we can just do this on our own, when we're better than anyone else, or, or as I was thinking this week, worse than everybody else that I need to get out, whenever you're thinking in all of this, you're wrong because we all need each other. You know, Paul continues in this chapter, and he talks about, he's actually setting this whole body thing up in, in the context, the framework of spiritual gifts. And so I believe on one level, yes, there's a communal, community kind of piece to this, for sure. But then he, re, he puts underneath it this idea that not only is every person here uh, valuable and, and equal and, and has a, sp- a spot at the table, not only do we just feel welcoming and open and making place for every person, but more than that, the Holy Spirit of God has actually assigned individual gifts, skills, talents, resources to each individual person and has brought you, has brought all of us together to be able to offer those things in, just like a human body has all the parts that can't do everything, we too are a body that can't do everything on our own. You can do things I can't do. There are things that you can do that he can't do. And there are things that he can do that she can't do. And that's the thing that we're supposed to love about the church. It's not saying you can't do this, oh, I can. It's saying, well, we can never do the fullness of what we've been called to do unless we're doing it together. And I'm not going to talk about these gifts right now, if you want, go dig through the sermon archives, 2016. I think it was the winter semester. VJ did a series called something. What was it called? Fully Alive. Fully Alive on spiritual gifts. It's worth listening to. It is memorable, even though I forgot the name of it. I'd encourage you to go do that um, to find out more about that. But here's what I want, I want for us to hear today, okay? What Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is great because the concept behind this picture of a body that Paul is giving us is not just an organizational idea. It's not just, a, it's not just um, some strategic way or some analogy of thinking about the body. What he is saying is the church is not just any body. The church is Christ's body. The body of Christ, which is the church, is purposed and designed and enabled by the power of God himself to show each other and then the world exactly what Jesus is meant to be, exactly what Jesus is like. That's the purpose of the church, which also means this is true. Jesus hasn't left the earth because Jesus left the church. Let me make sense of that. Jesus hasn't left the earth because Jesus has left the church. Jesus lived 30 years before he began his ministry. He ministered and served for for three years. Everything we see about Jesus as we read through the New Testament letters is about those three years primarily. Um, At the end of his time, when when, when it was God's timing, his father's timing, Jesus was arrested, he was crucified, he was he was murdered, he was buried. Three days later, he rose again from the dead which was said was going to happen by prophets for a long, long time, was promised. He rose again from the dead. He spent another 40 days ministering and meeting with people, and then he ascended to heaven. 
And so you can look at that and you could say, okay, uh, that is not just a simple summary of what Christianity is about, but that's where Jesus is now. He ascended. He left the earth. He, he's in heaven now. But what I'm saying to you is, yes, okay, Jesus might not be here in flesh and bones and blood anymore, but he's still here, present, how? Through his body, which is the church, which is still very much here. So no, Jesus hasn't left the church in terms of abandoned the church. Jesus has given the world a church. Jesus has given you and me and every other person the church. And what our call is, is to bring into this world, beginning with one another right here in this room, the very experience of what Jesus is like. And as we're surrendered to him, he begins to work through us and enable us to offer to others the love that he has. And his peace that surpasses all understanding, his peace that makes no sense, how we can feel calm in the midst of the, the wildest rides of our life. A type of mercy and compassion and justice and acceptance and a type of truth and a type of grace and a type of love that we don't know from anywhere else. And those of you who have had your hearts warmed by the presence of Jesus in your life know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's that very thing that he is calling us as his body to offer out to each other. And it's the only way we can survive any of this. That's what close proximity to Jesus looks like. That's what we mean when we're talking about being halfway to heaven. We know that there is absolutely something about the presence of Jesus we know and understand here and now. At the same time, we know it's not fully complete. That's what it means to be halfway. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. There's a, I don't know how many implications for this, a lot more than I could think of because I only came up with two. But here they are. One, you need to tell someone how much you need them. And you need to affirm their place in this body. This is our role. To say to the other parts, you're needed here. You're a part of this. I can't do what you can do. Did you know that you can do that so great? And that you're necessary here? And you need to, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in that discussion. To lead you to the person but also to give you the words, to give you the moment, the opportunity. Don't just think that this is just like, you know, some advice column out of a magazine and just, you know, go tell somebody how great they are. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying to you, do something way deeper. And you'll actually begin to see, as you surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit, to say, lead me in this, how he does this supernatural thing that just sets it all up so wonderfully that it enables you to speak a type of truth that could literally rescue that person from the worst thing they ever experienced, which is feeling like they're isolated and alone and a part of nothing bigger than themselves. <laughs> Thank you, Delphine. Um, just like that. Thank you. The second thing is this. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay for nobody else to know. You got to tell someone that you're limping. You got to tell someone that you're thinking of quitting. 
you got to tell somebody that you don't feel part of this anymore. Because it's when you do that that the other parts are able to say, how absurd. You are a part of this. I understand in this moment that if you are brand new to this whole church thing, like this is your first Sunday in a church anywhere ever, that you are just having a real experience right now. <laughs> and uh, I hope you're going to be able to get a taste of what I'm talking about. And you may be feeling this. I mean, here's the thing, right? Like those of us who are in Christ, a part of this church, we feel this way. So those of you that are out there trying to figure out life, you're not going to be able to find this type of thing outside of the community of Christ. You just can't. You won't. And so your search doesn't need to go on any longer. I'm going to be here, probably weeping in the corner. <laughs> we got other people around. Um, there's a, typically a team of people that would love to hear from you and listen to you and pray with you over here. Wherever you're at, church, this is what God is calling us into. He's made us into one body, his body. And I believe that even though we feel like we're only halfway there, we're definitely on our way. Jesus in heaven, ever present among us still. We surrender everything to you. That you love us enough to give us each other. That you let us be broken, but not leave us broken. That you're with us even when we're hurting, but then you bring other people in to begin mending and repairing that hurt. You've given us something, Jesus, in yourself and then in this church that we could never find anywhere else. I know you're speaking now, Jesus. So we continue to worship now in song, declaring truths that we believe are true, even though we don't always feel it. But together with other people, raising one voice to say, I'm not by myself. We're in this together. Thank you, Jesus. We keep, keep praising you now. Amen.